This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Dayton Ward, author of a whole bunch of Star Trek novels, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host today, Brandon Shea Matella, and I'm still getting used to this now that Floyd's gone. So he normally did all of the intros for the episodes, which I was just fine with. So now I kind of got to take the reins here and and uh, lead the show. So if I crash this into, uh, you know, Viridian 3, don't blame me. Well, uh, oh wait, that's the wrong series. That's the wrong franchise. Uh, <laughs> Dude. <laughs> joining me... Um, are my new co-hosts, Brandy Jacola. How are you doing, Brandy? I am just peachy keen. Uh, it's a lovely day here in Utah. Not really. We have tons of inversion. Yeah. But uh, but that's okay as long as you stay inside. How rough were the roads coming home? Like, did, Were you worried of exploding vehicles or anything like that on your way home? No, nothing like that. Uh, no one was carrying any uh, unsecured nitroglycerin, good. so we're good. Good, good, good. Also joining us today is Patrick Devlin. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, luckily, there's nothing crazy going on in my highways either. Excellent. How's your passport? Is it all in order? Um, No. No? Okay, <laughs> no. So you slip a tenner in. Just slip, slip a tenner in. Yeah, yeah. I, was not, I have a ten. <laughs> right on. And also joining us for the episode tonight is very special guest. And uh, special, I, I declare him special because of the way that he feels about Batman Returns. Joining us tonight is John Mills, co-host of Stage 9. How are you doing, John? Uh, I'm, I'm pondering the fact that uh, a kiss can be deadlier if you mean it. So, there you go. You know, you're going to throw Batman Returns at me, I'm going to throw a line at it from you. So there you go. Excellent. Well, as you guys yes. clearly can tell from that introduction, we are not talking about Enterprise or... Batman Returns tonight. <laughs> We're actually not talking about Batman Returns. We are going to continue along with our Warp 5 movie night. And just as a reminder, if you haven't listened along yet, uh, we've done two previous episodes of our movie night. Um, the first we covered For Whom the Bells Tolls with Mike Schindler. And then the second one we covered on Stage 9, but we also released as Warp 5 Special Number 3. Uh, we covered Sunset Boulevard. And what we're doing is we're just going through... Uh, one of the interesting things about Enterprise is they had movie night, which was like kind of a camaraderie, a 
way to sit down and relax and have fun, and they would watch old movies. And unfortunately, Mike's not here tonight because he's actually uh, in Chicago right now watching Batman Returns in 35 mil at the theater, so I'm a little envious of him. But um, he was going to be joining us for all of them, and he just couldn't make it tonight. And so we're just going to continue on without him, but he'll be here for our our next movie night, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, But tonight, we're going to be discussing the French classic film The Wages of Fear directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau and this is one of my favorite movies of all time I love it and I'm about to find out what my co-hosts think of it so uh, we're going to kind of dive right in if you guys haven't seen it yet uh, John you borrowed this from Netflix DVD borrowing right? Yes I actually watched physical media for this because I couldn't find any free streaming and my wife refuses to let go of uh, the past, and so we still get discs. And so I just take advantage of that, uh, you know, when, when the need arises. And so I will, I will cop to the fact that I actually watch physical media. Everybody knows I have almost an allergic reaction to it. Uh, but I, I made the extra effort for this. Excellent. I myself watched the Criterion Blu-ray edition. Um, I've got all three versions of the Criterion for this, their original release, their two-disc release, and the Blu-ray. So I will, uh, I will always fork over money for a better quality version of The Wages of Fear. And uh, so basically, in a nutshell, we'll go over it. Um, Patrick, do you want to give us a quick summary of the movie? Yeah, sure. So basically, the movie starts out with an hour of nonsense about being in a little town where nobody likes them. Um, at this point, I wanted to space myself so I didn't have to continue watching. But then they have to turn around and get nitrous glycerin to a mine... Because the mine's on fire, and the only way to put it out is to blow the mine, or blow the fire. Um, and they don't have anyone that'll drive. None of the union guys are willing to drive it, because they won't get them the proper equipment, they won't get them the proper trucks. Uh, so they find four guys that are willing to do this for a bunch of money, but they're risking their lives. Uh, and the, the presumed idea is that they send two trucks, because when one blows up, the second one will get there. Mm-hmm. That... Lightly scratches the surface of what the movie is. There's a little bit more to that. So. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But it, so it basically, it starts off in a nutshell. Like the the what I like about the first hour of this movie is is it is a little slow. And the first time I watched the movie, I'm like, what is going on here? Because this has been heralded as one of the most you know nail biting, suspenseful films of all time. And you put this on, and the first hour of this movie is like. What is going on here? Like, it's pretty slow. But what's really going on in the first hour, to me, is it's building up the depression and the hopelessness that these people have. So all of these people are trapped in this unnamed Central American country for one reason or another. They end up here for various reasons. And most of them, we don't really find out what's going on. But there's no way out of this town because plane tickets cost too much to get out of there. The roads don't go far enough so they can't drive anywhere because it's kind of like a landlocked village like the roads go to the end of the uh of the mine and like that's about as far as they go so they can't fly out they can't drive out they can't walk out because it's too far so they're basically trapped in this town and there's there's no income there's no money and so everybody's really angry because they've you know they're they've got nothing to do except for drink and kind of fight all day and so in order to have a last chance to get out of there, they get paid a massive sum of money to drive this dangerous nitroglycerin off to try and put the fire out. 
Um, and that's when the movie really starts getting really interesting and really nail-biting. It's two and a half hours long, and the, the the last hour and a half is when it is really, really, really good. But I don't think you can watch the movie without having watched that first hour, and my co-hosts may disagree. Brandy, what do you think about that? What Do you, th- do you think that you could cut down that first hour? <sighs> you can say yes. I won't cry. <laughs> no, not... There's there's some things I think it could be edited down to probably about thirty minutes and still give us the same character uh, backgrounds because honestly it was just all really uncomfortable to me because all of the stuff with uh, oh my gosh I've already forgotten the girl Linda is that her name was just horrifying to me because she's basically treated like an object all they think of in this place as far as women or they're just things to be used apparently and I have problem with that. Now, I know the time in which it was made and all of that, but that doesn't mean that I enjoy watching that. So, and I also didn't appreciate how the main character so quickly threw over his buddy for this new guy in town. And I'm just like, really? Wow. And I also just started chuckling when I realized there was a Mario and Luigi rooming together. (laughs) Yes, there is a Mario and (laughs) Luigi rooming together, so. It's a prequel to Mario Brothers. Yeah. Patrick? So, yeah. Patrick, what do you think of the start of the film? No, it was just way too slow. Um, like Randy said, there were scenes that could have been cut out. I didn't need to see uh, the girl, like, crawl across the floor and be pet like a kitten. That was a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, even for the time, that was a little weird. But, uh, uh, I don't know. You could, Like she said, you could you could cut out a lot of this. You, you could show that they don't like immigrants, because that's one of the things. They, they call them uh, American tramps and stuff like that, and tell them to get pay- papers or whatever. You could knock those scenes down a little bit and, and save a whole bunch of time and probably make this whole movie two hours and t- instead of two hours and 28 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I am going to tell you one of the interesting things here. Um, so, Linda... Who's the the woman in this film here, right? The uh, she's Mario's. I, I I got the impression that she's his date, like his girlfriend or something like that, right? In this in this little country, um, but she's played by Vera Cluzo, and uh, who's Henri George Cluzo's wife. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting that she's uh, she's the this woman who's basically getting kicked down as a dog, right? Because you know she she works in this bar, and. Everybody in the bar treats her terribly, like the, not the customers, but the people that she works with. There's a, there's a, a, a black woman that's working there who seems to be like this guy's right hand man. And she's kind of like always watching her to make sure that she's doing her job and stuff. And, uh, you know, she is stealing from them as well. I mean, at the beginning, what was it? Matches that she stole, uh, right at the beginning of stuffed in the flower. Um, yeah, because no matter what, they can all afford cigarettes, can't they? I'm sure cigarettes were cheap. Uh, they were, yeah, they were a lot cheaper back then, and addiction is a hell of a thing. As as, as a reformed smoker, uh, you find a way to pay to, to get cigarettes. Oh boy, do you ever! That is, uh, yeah, and that it is was for just sure. so commonplace back then. Everybody smoked. Yeah, they smoked on television. They smoked everywhere. Everybody smoked. That was just the thing you did. Yeah, yeah. It was Chesterfield's tickle the T zone was the ad campaign. I think something like that. <laughs> Oh, I've seen a few in my time too. Yeah, yeah, some really weird ones. Yeah, for sure, for sure. John, how did you feel about the start? I, you know, I got to be honest with you that I wouldn't cut any of it because by the time you're through that first hour, you don't just have a sense that there there are these are all people who don't 
really like each other and don't really want to be with each other. They're all looking for somebody who is an escape in some way. And some people can find it and some people cannot. And you have, but then you also have the, you know, the one good guy uh, who who is there, but he winds up being used as well. And so I wouldn't cut it down at all because by the time you get to them being in the truck, you realize how awful all of their lives are and how awful they all are to each other. And that deeper philosophical question, that sort of lie that everybody tells themselves that if I just got out of here, if I just changed my circumstances, things about my life would be better. And it's, it, it's that whole driving impulse and the question, therefore, of would they really? You look at the way these people treat other people, would escape really make them better? And then, on, or you know, would it just allow them to be awful on a larger scale? And then you also get that sense of desperation of wanting to get out of that feeling of being trapped. So I, you know, I was, I was fine with the beginning. I like the slow boil and that's just how I, I guess that's just how I'm wired. I, I like the fact that they didn't make anybody except maybe one or two people even remotely, um, sympathetic. Like everybody in there was just awful, but were they awful because they were, awful by nature or were they awful because of their circumstances uh you know i i liked seeing that interplay uh go back and forth yeah. personally see, i thought it was interesting see watching this again here so we've got this character that comes into town mr joe right and he's he's we don't really know what happened but he was he was in a city something happened he runs to the airport and says i got 50 bucks where can i go and that's why he ends up in this village and Somehow, uh, Eve Montan's character, Mario and, and Senior Joe, they, they recognize that they're either from the same area or maybe they went for the same school because they're whistling a tune that they both know. So somehow they have this connection over this whistling song. Does did any? I, I still don't know what that is, but I'm okay not knowing. Does anybody know what that connection is and how they got connected by this whistling tune? Is that something that went past everybody's head? I, I don't know what the tune is from, but I got I all I got was just that they both knew it, so it signified some sort of shared identity that they could latch on to. Mm-hmm. Brandy, yeah, all I knew was that they were from the same area. They were both from France. Okay. They were both from Paris. Okay. So that's that's all I got. I don't know anything about the tune yeah, okay. either. So this J- Joe comes into town and he's acting like he's this big wig because he's got a nice suit and. For some reason, everybody just assumes he's somebody special, right? And so because of this false importance that he has, people are willing to do things for him that they normally wouldn't do, right? Like uh, the owner of this bar is like basically giving him a tab. And Senior Joe is honestly, in my opinion, he's the, the catalyst for all this antagonism between all of these people. Because at the beginning of the film... The, the the main men that don't have any jobs or whatever, they're just kind of sitting around this bar, just sitting there. They don't seem antagonistic towards each other, other than anybody except for the, the owner of the bar, right? And it, it's not until Joe comes into the picture and Mario starts spending time with him and developing a friendship with him that the other people in the village, like Mario's roommate Luigi and this German guy, um, start to 
go head to head with each other. Like, did you guys catch that as well? That Joe is the kind of the catalyst for this antagonism. Yeah, I, I caught that. I just he, Joe's character kind of confused me because when he comes in, someone and I can't remember right now who, but someone asked, "Oh, you know Joe?" And in the answer, the response was, I think it was the bar owner said, "Only by reputation." It wasn't the bar owner. It was somebody else that they know him by reputation. It it never went any deeper than that, though. Yeah. There was no explanation as to what reputation. Right. So he he confused me. Well, but but wasn't it? I mean, it was Mario that said that only by reputation. No, because it was the whole somebody else it, that said that. It was so. It was somebody. Yeah, Mario else that asked said that? a question to somebody, and they responded with "only by reputation." And then, and then okay. the bartender brought Joe in there and was like, "Oh, come in, come in, help yourself." And then Mario asked the bartender, "He's like, do you know who this guy is?" And the bartender's like, "He's your friend, you know." So, like, nobody knows who this guy is, and just because he's he's projecting this air of confidence and importance, they're just like bending over backwards for this guy like right off the bat which i think is very odd yeah but i think it speaks to that idea of of desperation because here's somebody who appears to be of means in their midst they immediately see maybe a chance of escape if i befriend this person i can i can leave what struck me when he first walked off the plane uh, was I looked at him and in his costume, I have no idea if this is the case. I have to do some research, but he looks like the uh, the antagonistic uh, leader of the pack in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, who steals the cross of Coronado and then Indy shows up. Seriously, like visually, they look alike, and I would not at all be surprised if Lucas and Spielberg like were making a reference to Wages of Fear in some way. Because I swear to you, like the first thing I thought of was uh, he, hey, he looks like that guy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I mean that's um, I think that I think an, another interesting thing is you know uh, he has barely any money. He has just enough to take this flight to this uh, rinky-dinky little town. But what I notice is apparently it costs more to leave than to get there. Yeah. there there's like an interesting play there of once you get here, you can't get out. People can get there, no problem. They just can't leave. I think that's a really – I thought that was a really neat mechanism yeah. there. And the town itself is just so poor. Like, you know, they show it like with these bugs everywhere, these naked children running around, these – you know, sick people kind of everywhere. That and the only place for anybody to get any work is this southern oil company that's you know taking oil out of the land. It's the only place to get work. And Mario, who's Luigi's roommate, is working on building something there. And you know, he's like crushing bricks and you know making concrete and stuff like this to build a building. Right. So, sorry, Patrick, you were going to say something. I don't remember now. Okay. <laughs> it was a fleeting moment. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. I was going to say, not only is it more expensive to leave, it's like ridiculously, substantially more expensive to leave. Yeah, you right. Know, it was like fifty yeah. bucks is to it... come, a thousand to leave. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And uh, it, actually, I, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the children at the beginning because the children at the beginning, I think there's an echo years later at the beginning of the Wild Bunch because there's a similar opening scene of children torturing insects. Okay. Um, at the open of that film. So now I'm like, wow, was Peckinpah making a direct reference to Wages of Fear with that? Probably. So that, that would be interesting. Yeah. This is a pretty important film, like in film history, you know, and, you know, people, people study it and they've gone back to it. And, uh, 
you know, it's really, it's really a beautifully shot film, and it's, I don't know, it's like, I really, really love the story here. Um, now, Brandy, you had mentioned, um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about it, the, uh, the toxic masculinity that's in this mm. environment here. So let, mm. let's talk a little bit about this here, because until you mentioned that, I never considered it that way. And to me, I just always interpret it as like these tensions are high when people are at their lowest. You know, it's like, it's what I like about zombie films. When, you know, after a certain amount of time, humanity just completely degrades. And that's kind of how I always interpreted it, uh, this, this situation there. So let's hear what you think. Well, the the thing that really just capped it for me was when Luigi comes into the bar and he's dressed to the nines and he just wants to celebrate with his friends because I can't remember if this is before or after his final diagnosis, but he pretty well knows he's dying. It would have been before because he got his diagnosis yeah. when they were doing the test for the trucks. Yeah, but but he knew. Yeah. He knew he was dying, whether or not the doctor had confirmed it. I think in his heart of hearts, he knew because he can't breathe very well and he's always coughing and he knows it's the concrete dust. But uh, he just feels like celebrating. He's buying his friends drinks and Joe just has a problem with that. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why does Joe have a problem with that? Because suddenly the focus is off of him. So he gets up and basically takes the champagne that Luigi bought, shakes it up and sprays it all over them. Yeah. Um, that's not okay. And I mean, yeah, granted, it's it's a it's an establishment of I'm the top cat here. But that is toxic masculinity. You would never see women doing that crap. So it's just this this whole thing of I am the best here and I'm going to prove it by wrecking you guys in front of everyone else. And then, of course, Luigi gets understandably upset and is going to hit him with the bottle. And all of a sudden, Joe's got a gun. And I'm like, really? Really? This is just now this is just now every bit of toxic masculinity that I think I can take. And I just was just like, oh, and then, you know, Luigi takes the high road and just walks away and says, I'm not a killer. And Joe acts like you got to have guts to kill somebody. No, no, no. You got to have guts not to kill somebody. It's easy to kill somebody. It's hard to not do that. It's harder to walk away and be a better person. <clears throat> See, it's interesting because of what happens with Joe's character and how he turns by the end of the movie, right? And like he Oh yeah, he shows he shows his true colors. Right, right. Almost immediately after they start out in the trucks. And I'm just like, Yep, that's toxic masculinity for you. They're so afraid of who they really are that oh, I gotta put on this brave front and be a big man and it's just uh no, thank you. It has it holds no interest to me what all at all. It's a story I've seen before. And I have no interest in watching it again. So I'm not saying the actual story overall, but the story of that character. Seen it before, don't care. Don't like it, don't care. Now, with these people in this town here, before we get onto the trucks, there is one, my favorite shot of the whole film, and one of my favorite parts of it, there's this one character who's this tragic young character who's got, he has a passport and he has a visa and it's almost ready to expire. And anybody that comes into town, he like begs them, please give me money to get out of town. Look, I've got this. I got to get out of here. I need to get my life back on track. And he's really young. And uh, after everybody gets hired on to drive the trucks, uh, he, he writes a letter to his mom and he says, he lies in the letter saying that he got the job 
and asks them to mail the letter, and he ends up hanging himself. But the what what happens is is that uh, Linda goes outside to pray for the safety of Mario and 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 the guys, but the camera like pans past his feet just hanging from this tree and it's almost like they I remember the first time I saw this movie I'm like what what was that you know because it just pans by it and like it doesn't address it for another like I don't know 90 seconds or something like that until Linda finally notices he's hanging there and screams and then it has this really neat shot of underneath looking up but it's that first shot that just passes by like nonchalantly this hanging boy and it's like I just I don't know I just love that shot and I think that it's like almost it sums up the movie right there and that's what the movie is about is like the death of this young boy almost to me right I don't know I just I love that part so much it's tragic but it's great so did that impact anybody the way it impacted me well, I have to say I was not surprised mm-hmm. um, because I thought, no, that kid's resolved. He's going to go kill himself. I didn't expect it to be hanging. And so when I saw the feet, I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, man, I don't want to be right about this. And yeah, I, I, I actually I think that it was a really well shot movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem with any of that. And I understand its cultural importance. I understand its importance in movie history. I understand all of that. That doesn't mean I like it. <laughs> but but it is beautifully filmed. Beautifully filmed. Even even that child at the beginning who is stood up and turned around. I'm like, oh, he's Donald Ducking it. Oh, wow. Shirt, no pants. Okay. <laughs> okay. Was not expecting that, but I, I get it. And so that kind of, that, that little thing just set the tone. I'm like, I know what kind of town this is. Yeah. I know exactly what kind of town yeah, this is exactly. now. So, but that's that's a great scene. It is a great scene. John, anything you want to add on the beginning portion of the film? Uh, no. I, I mean, the thing is with, with with the hanging. I mean, it's it's I guess the first the first volley in its uh, you know then the protracted uh, discussion about death and the nature of death and our reactions to death that. Uh, you know that then propel you know the rest of the plot and um, so like I it, it's almost like the the overture to the remaining symphony uh, is that hanging because we see a reaction to death and we see people's first reactions to death and then the rest of the film during the journey is an explanation of everybody's reactions to of an average person's reactions to you know these things that happen these things that are a part of life yeah so, you know. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go into or Patrick, sorry, I missed you there. Is there anything else you want to add on the um, uh No, I mean part? I thought the uh the hanging scene was 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 interesting. Um I also thought it kind of foreshadowed what was to come with the rest of the characters. Like they they were all like right on the edge. That's the kind of the whole point of the movie, right? They're on the edge the whole time they're driving these trucks. So, yes. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, you know, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was a perfectly placed in the movie too. That it happened just at the right moment of the movie, really, because they didn't really put anything else after it or bef- or before it that kind of took away from that particular scene. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of my opinion on that one. Right on. Okay, so we're gonna go into the next bit. We're gonna be talking in depth about it. I don't think we can. You know, so we're going to spoil some of the things on it. If you haven't seen the movie yet, um, this is quite from this point on in the film, like it is quite suspenseful, and there's some really amazing, amazing plot points that are going to be coming up, and we will be talking about them. Uh, so we'll give you the warning here. Um, but I remember the first time I watched this movie, and from this point on, like I was on the edge of my seat 
for the rest of this film. So they're transporting. They've got these two trucks in there, and they're transporting this liquid nitroglycerin. And it's like the first thing that happens is they're walking it up this ramp. Like they're carrying it. They're like in these big jerry cans, and one guy like almost trips. And like right from there, it's just like, okay, this is what kind of movie this is going to be. You're going to be faked out a number of times over the next little bit, and I love it. Well, what I found interesting about that was, and and I think this is the payoff of that that first buildup, uh, you know, of of the previous hour uh, or what have you, is you suddenly I I found myself it was the first tell of how invested I was in finding out what was going to happen was when that guy almost tripped. I I don't typically react that strongly because I figure oh well you know I know how long the movie is so I know how long you know it's a, it, the truck's not going to blow up but I reacted as if oh geez and I sat up and I and I realized in that moment that that's that's how I knew the the film had me was the fact that I reacted to that moment as strongly as I did mm-hmm. I thought that was cool Patrick did that affect you at all uh, Yeah the sad part is though I, I just wanted them all to blow up. They they were so horrible leading up to this. I was just, I knew they couldn't blow all blow up at that moment because again, like you said, there's another hour and a half of this movie, so that would be a really boring black screen. But like, I would just, it's spoiler alert. I wanted them to die the entire movie. I mean, like every time, and there's a million times they get really close, and I'm I'm kind of cheering for the cliff. Like, even wait a minute, even Luigi. Even poor Luigi? I guess, Luigi. I don't know. Mamma mia, poor <laughs> Luigi. <laughs> oh. You know what? He got involved, so. Yeah, but I mean, he's he's like the guy, you know, like, of the four of them, he's the one that is, like, his desperation is the most sympathetic, the most palpable. He isn't doing it for any other reason than he's literally going to die if he doesn't leave. Yeah. Because there's nothing else for him to do. And so he's like I think he's the character that keeps you um feeling any sort of human emotion for these people is like oh he's the guy I want to make it through. I'm like I don't care what happens to the other 3. I want Luigi. him to make it to the finish line. Please let the good guy get there. Yeah, maybe I get you know what? I, I got to be honest. It it really took me quite a few tries to get through the first hour. So I think I missed some of that in in the in the watching. You know what I mean? Like I didn't I didn't really build a connection to any of them. But I knew I couldn't stand Joe and Mario, so if if everyone had to go for Joe and Mario yeah. to go, I'm cool with that. Now, now <laughs> let me ask you this question here, John, and let me ask you this question, Brandy. So, so John, with what you're saying about Mario being the one that you want to survive, do you think that you would still feel that way for him had he not had that scene where Joe completely trashed on him in that bar, where Joe slapped him around and sprayed him? Like, or do you think that that scene may have helped you? Feel the sympathy towards Mario. I you felt Luigi. Luigi, I'm oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I. I'm sorry, Brady. Do you want to go? I don't, no, you I don't go ahead. Know. I was okay. just saying. I, it's I said Luigi, the wrong not Mario. Oh yeah. <laughs> sorry. Damn Nintendo. Look. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I used to like the plumbers. I. I. Uh, I would have felt sympathy for Luigi in any circumstance. Okay. I think that the scene where Mario acts the ass toward him is uh, is what makes me hate uh, Mario. Like, Mario is not a good person, and I don't like him, but when he openly mistreats Luigi is when I hate him, is when I make the decision, I don't want him to make it through this. 
I don't want him to make it to the end at all. So I think that what it does is it just ramps up. It is sort of that that turning it up a notch so that you're not just disliking him. You're rooting against him in that moment. Like none of his desperation is sympathetic. You can't reason away, well, he's behaving this way because he's just so desperate to get out of there. You find out that at his core, he's a jerk. And he's and and it speaks to that theme of will leaving this town really change anybody? And I think that that scene in and of itself says, no, it won't. He's not going to be any different when he has money or when he gets out of here. This is just who he is. See, I hated Mario when he threw Luigi's pants on the floor. <laughs> oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. All right. Well, see, I had an older brother, so, you know, sometimes my older brother would do that to me. So, you know, maybe maybe I was. uh you know, I was like, ah, oh, he's just being a jerk in the moment. So, I don't know. Brandy, what did you think about Luigi? Is he the one he, you were rooting for? Yes. Actually, I really liked Luigi and Bimba. Now, we don't get as much backstory on Bimba, but um, every word that he said made me believe that he was a good person. And he was one of those people that literally had nothing to lose. He was an orphan, and he had no family. No one was going to mourn him if he died. And, uh, you know, perhaps in his mind, he was thinking, well, why not? If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if I die, no one will care. And uh, in fact, I, I watched the movie all in one sitting and my husband had been gone for most of it. And he comes back and he see, he just looks at the screen and sees Luigi and Bimba. And he says, oh, you got a goth in this movie? And I said, yeah. And he's German, too. And he's like, oh, yeah. So because he's just very... He's, he's, Bimba is very sad. He's very yeah. sad. And it made me feel sad for him. But, uh, but Bimba and Luigi are never awful to each other. They are a team. Right. They support each other. They listen to each other. They enjoy each other's company. And they, sh they prove what kind of people they are under the worst possible conditions. They prove that they're good people. And so I was rooting for him. However, I knew... Without a shadow of a doubt, when this whole mission was proposed, I knew that they were all going to die in one way or another. <laughs> I did not expect any of them to survive, so I was not surprised at anyone's death. Well, I was surprised by one, but we'll, we'll get to that near the end here. Now, <laughs> um, so after this, so they leave on the mission, they get started, they get going, and we, we get this amazing, this first instance of, like, are they going to blow up? And one thing that I love about this movie is that they really do a good job of explaining to the audience what's going on. Like, I didn't, when I first saw this movie, I don't know anything about dynamite. I don't know anything about nitroglycerin. So when they take that small drop in the office and drop it and show just how one drop hitting the ground can make a small explosion like this, it shows you for people that don't know what's going on, what this stuff can actually do. And when they're talking about this next instance of uh, driving over a really bumpy road and how if you drive a certain speed, the shocks will absorb the bumps better. I don't know that stuff. Like, I, I still don't know that stuff as a, as a man. Like, I don't know much about vehicles and things like that. So they're explaining you either have to go incredibly slow to, ma to handle the bumps one at a time slowly or you have to go incredibly fast so that your vehicle can absorb all the shocks. And so we get to this part where there's like a long stretch of road that they call the washboard and it's incredibly bumpy. And 
the first group of people go through, they start having trouble with their trucks. So they have to go slow and the other people decide to go fast. So we get to this point where you think that the fast car, they can't start slowing down because then they'll start vibrating. They might rear end the other vehicle and then it's all over. So here we are, our first nail biting scene right at the beginning. Brandy, did this work for you? Well, sure, except I knew that nothing was going to happen because there was still like an hour and a half of the movie left. (laughs) (laughs) So, see, that's part of the problem is I knew how long the movie was. So I'm like, well, they're not going to blow up yet. No, this won't be it. But it is one of those situations where I felt slightly concerned. So, but, you know, honestly, I was just like, just blow up, just blow up, just blow up before you get to Luigi and Bimba. But, you know, that's... um, that's because that's, that's the only thing I found to like was Luigi and Bimba. It's the only thing I found to like as far as characters in this film. So I was I was more concerned when it was them uh, going through the peril than I was ever concerned with Mario and Joe. I was just like, just go away. I'm sick of listening to you. You know, I I I, I want to speak to that though, Brandy, because I, I think that I think it's so interesting in that. Uh, especially in the modern mass market uh, film age is there's, you know, an obsession with making everybody who's on, who's a main character has to be likable. They have to be uh, test audience approved, focus group approved as it were. And I just, I, I think maybe one of the things I actually responded to with this film is that, it doesn't feel the need to do that. It's telling a story and it's examining a, you know, a deep philosophical question about our approaches to death and tension and all of those things. And by making two of the main characters reprehensible people that I feel no sympathy for, it, I think, asks, not asks, but posits that, that whole underlying thing of like, death doesn't care whether you're a good person or a bad person. And, you know, and one of them, you know, even has that philosophy. It's like, well, you know, if, if it happens, it happens. You know, I, I can't really care about it. And yet it, the person who says that is one of the people who is one of the most, um, you know, boorish and, and terrible ones says, you know, like it, it's so I just think it's it's interesting, and I, I actually would enjoy more films. I think Tarantino operates in this sort of space where he makes main characters who are deplorable, and you don't like them, but he uses it to great effect. And I think that, the, I think that this film, I mean, from my perspective, successfully does that, and I, I think that's probably why I reacted uh, positively to it overall. Well, no, I understand that. And I'm not saying that all main characters have to be likable. Uh, because as long as there's one thing that I can attach to and root for, then I'm good. But uh, that doesn't mean that I'm going to care about what happens to that reprehensible character. Because I just kind of feel like, yeah, you deserve that, buddy. So, oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I, but, I, but, I get No, that. I totally yeah. get your point, and I agree with it, because um, it's it's brave to make jerks your main characters. See, <laughs> so, see, this is so fascinating, because I see these characters completely different from how you guys are talking about them as well. Now, b- before I mention something here, I, we forgot to mention the fact that Joe wasn't originally hired for this mission. Somebody else oh, was, yeah. and then Joe killed him, right? So Okay, so if he killed him, how come he's in the final scene in the bar when they're all dancing? 
He's in that scene. I saw him in that show. Oh, yeah. Maybe he didn't. Yeah. He's in there. He's in there dancing. Well, I I think that, no, I I think that that speaks to Joe's cowardice is that it, it, in a sense, it doesn't matter. Joe is all talk. Yeah. So it's perfectly believable that he shows up and says, no, I killed him, and it's all bravado. But he doesn't it's say that he not... killed him. That's the thing. No. Because right, said, well, it's an he, assumption. Yes, assumption he lets them make the like, assumption. Did, yeah. oh, I don't remember the German guy's name. I don't know. Yeah, but but it, it feeds his his uh, you know his sense of identity to, you know, it makes these people respect and fear him. He's a big man again if they believe he did something bad, and he doesn't need to do it. Uh, you know, so I, I think that you know that that works either uh, either way. See, I gotta check that out again because I've seen this movie twenty times, I'm sure, and I've never noticed him at the end scene there. I gotta go check that. Because right now, now tell me I'm not crazy. He was the older guy in the plaid shirt, sometimes wore a glasses. hat, had the wire rim yeah. glasses. Yeah, he was definitely I not, in I have that. I've never final noticed scene. him. I've seen this movie twenty times. Definitely. Wow, I gotta because I'm out. just like, oh wait. There he is. Oh, so that completely he's not changes dead. my perspective of Joe now because I'm like, it, but it makes it fits more with his character than if he didn't kill him. Because okay, so yeah. what I see with these characters is by the end of the movie, I feel sorry for Joe, and I don't, I don't want him to die because he's such a pathetic character, and I don't want Mario to die, and I like him because I see his character has changed from this coward at the beginning who's simply following this Joe around to try and get something out of him, I think, to the end where he's leading this mission kind of thing, right? And he's he has to take charge because Joe's such a coward, right? But but his character builds and grows. So by the end, I'm cheering for Mario, which is why I hate the ending of the movie so much. Right? Yeah, because he just blows it all at the like, end. For crying he? out loud, I hate the ending of this movie so much. But but see, but see, the ending of the film, in and of itself, I think speaks. I I, I think it's debatable whether he actually changes or simply becomes the alpha of the relationship. Thank because you. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> he dies because he does exactly what Joe tells him he does and is his main character flaw of he never thinks more than 10 feet ahead of himself. Somebody who has gone through this, who has matured, who has succeeded, maybe is going a little bit slower and not driving recklessly down the switchbacks. You know, like it, mm-hmm. I think it speaks more to the fact that he doesn't change. He simply becomes dominant and you know, never mind the fact that he very slowly rolls over Joe's leg. If anything, that moment would make me sympathetic for Joe because in that moment I look at him and I say his his bravado, his toxicity, whatever, whatever you want to call it, comes from a place of such pathetic loneliness and fear that I feel sympathy for him in the sense of like a, a – almost like a wounded rabid animal where it's like – if there was some way I could help you, I would do it because I, I feel pity for you because what a terrible feeling you must have inside your soul. Whereas, you know, Mario is just like, you know, he's stop, stop. Don't, don't do this. Don't do this. My legs in the way. And Mario's like, Hey, it's your fault that I'm stuck. Cause you're dumb leg. It's but like, Mario. Can't wow. Stop that's in that heartless. Situation. It takes, he, no, no. See, the thing is, he gets no, stuck. That, I understand he gets stuck. He's going to get stuck either way. And the human thing to do 
is not to roll over a defenseless person, no matter how no matter how awful that person is, to lack the basic human decency to spare their life in that circumstance. You're a dirtbag, man. Patrick. I actually have an interesting take on this. Hold on. Please. Um, so this movie, when, when did this movie? 53. This? Okay, so this is the height of the union movement, by the way, um, across the world. And it's made very obvious that the company is hiring scabs. Yes. And they, they make a huge scene about this. And I think a lot of that has to do with why that scene even takes place in the first place. Because the, the fight against non-union was that they do work unsafe and that they would run over each other's legs just to get a job done. Um, so I think it, also, by the way, I'm a, I'm a union tradesman. Another reason why I want them all to die in this movie. So um, I don't like the fact they're taking union jobs from people and that they're doing it unsafely. But um, sorry. But none of the union guys wanted to do it. You're right, because you shouldn't. Because you shouldn't do it. Not, it's there's not something a called safe di- job. It's not a safe job. Right. Well, I'm a shop steward in a union environment as this well. Way. I'm a shop steward in a union <laughs> environment. So, but it's not. It's not even that it's not safe. It's it's kind of ridiculously over the top. Like they won't go get the right trucks or the right ballast. They won't. They're literally just putting cans of nitrous glycerin when dynamite exists. You know, like there's other ways of doing this job that are way safer. I don't even know why a mine at that time would have nitrous glycerin on hand because dynamite existed in 18. 18- but but it, it, it was an oil field. It was an it was an oil field. Well, I, oil fields use dynamite. Well, I, okay, that's, that, that's oil field. Sorry, not a mine. But would would, uh, would but would I see the thing is I don't know enough about it. Like, is nitroglycerin cheaper? Like, it would was it just cheaper for yeah, them is, to do it? That dynamite way? is dynamite. Okay, so Alfred Nobel invented dynamite to make nitroglycerin safe. That's the whole impetus okay. of making dynamite. And, uh, and actually, that's why when in his last will and testament, he created the Nobel Prize, which everyone knows about the Peace Prize, but there was also chemistry, physics, and mm-hmm. all those other sciences. Um, but he actually invented, his family was in explosives. For, his father was in explosives. His brother took the company over, then he did. And he literally invented nitrous glycerin for situations like this, so this wouldn't happen. Okay. So, well, I mean, that then that adds a layer, yeah, because the then I don't know. Yeah. yeah right, I, sorry. I, yes. I, I don't know the, the company's motivation then as to whether it's cost-saving or faster or they just don't want to fly the dynamite in. Maybe or, they or can't get like, the dynamite in time, but then, yeah, why do they have the nitrous glycerin instead of dynamite? Right, right, right. The nitrous glycerin, there should be no nitrous glycerin kind of period. There definitely shouldn't be 200, what did they say, 200 gallons or something like that, I think. <laughs> yes. Was, uh, the translation on that. But uh, they definitely shouldn't have that kind of amount. And not to mention, when Joe stopped short before going... Just before going over the washboard, they would have exploded there. You know, like there's, mm-hmm. there's some there's suspension so of disbelief times where I'm like, on these views. Should have exploded. Yeah, 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 you had to just be like, should have exploded. Should have been like, I guess it didn't shift some magic way. But um, I'll say I, something. Know, I'll, I'll interrupt and say something about the the remake here. So in the remake, it actually is dynamite, but the dynamite is leaking the nitroglycerin because it's so old. Right, so you know. So Spoilers! I haven't seen it, the remake that yet. Come on, either. man! And no, no, I'm just when they're transporting the dynamite, they've like encased it in sand to like help absorb the shock. So it's more believable in the remake, right? So they've they've got something to help absorb the the shocks. But there's there's a heck of a lot of suspension of disbelief with with when they're all like the slightest fart could make this thing explode, right? You know, <laughs> and then they're like. The craziest <laughs> things going on here, and they're fine, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah. like that dead stop. But I did like the scene with the washboard because that is absolutely true. I drove 
smaller trucks, like those size trucks for a while. And the worst speed to be at in a truck is like 15, 20 miles an hour. You bounce all over the world. I mean, you just dong, dong, dong. Meanwhile, if you go slow, you know, you feel the ups and downs, but you don't really jerk. Mm-hmm. And if you fly, you actually just hit the tops of everything. So yeah. you never come down into the valleys. All that could be ruined if there was one bad rain and made a bigger hole somewhere, but. Yeah. Now, th- anything else to add here before we move on to the next scene? No, we can go to the next scene for me. So, okay, now if I remember my chronology here, is, is the next scene is when they got a turn on that partially constructed bridge. Is that the next one? Yes. Yep. This is the greatest thing ever, this scene. Because they, both trucks are put in a crazy situation with this bridge, and they're both are suspenseful for different reasons on this same little bridge. So what's happened is there's this this switchback that's going up the mountain, and somebody has started to create an expansion of the road using wood so that it goes out a little bit more, but it's not completed yet. So they have to go around this really sharp turn, but they have to back up their trucks onto this bad wood so that they can straighten out and then go continue up the switchback. And... Like the first truck to go up is is Luigi and uh, and Bimba, and it's great because one of the wo- one of the pieces of wood breaks and a tire falls through and it's all muddy and they can't get out and and it's it's one of those things where it just happens so quickly that you're just like oh right and so they got to get out of that one there but to me the the other one is even better but you know we'll get to there too what do you, the, it, does anybody else agree that this is the best part or is I actually I really enjoyed this, these two scenes um, I love the way they showed the sec the back wheels because they're double wheels on the back one of them actually overhangs oh and comes off the, the little wooden yes. I, I want to call it a bridge actually. yeah I want to call it a bridge but it, it's really a plankway really you know like a little plankway be- before they get to the the part where they have to back up on um, and when you see it slide off you're like oh oh there we go darn it he didn't go he didn't go <laughs> Patrick, you're, I mean, you're an evil man. Uh, look, I'm also the guy who's been begging Archer to kill somebody for like an entire season of retrospects now. So, <laughs> oh, Patrick, we need to talk more. So much more. Uh, I, I think these two scenes. The interesting thing about them is uh, it again highlights the difference between Luigi and Bimba and Mario and Joe, because when Luigi and Bimba encounter a hurdle they work together they figure it out they they're you know with each other whereas joe and mario are two people who happen to be working toward the same goal but they're not working together for it at all and there's even in the release of tension there's there's like this anger (laughs) that mario feels that he didn't kill joe you know he's mad that he thought he killed him but he didn't kill him And it's like, this is a guy you've almost ditched like three or four times, you know, like, and you claim, like, you claim not to care what happens when, you know, something bad happens to somebody. It's just, it's so weird, but it's so effective in underlining those core differences of the the two sets of people. That's a very good point. You've got it spot on that. Yeah. These, these two groups of people are functioning in completely different manners. That's one. Yeah. That's wonderful. Brandy? Yeah, I this scene actually did make me nervous, and I'll tell you why. Have has anyone ever been to the Redwood Forest in Oakland no. area? No, I well, not. 
the way it's beautiful. Oh, definitely go. It's amazing. But uh, the way to get up there, at least as far as 1990, the way to get up there is through a bunch of switchbacks. Fill a bus full of high school students and do that. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. There were times that I thought we were not going to make the turn. And I thought, okay, apparently I should have made out my last will and testament before I got on this bus. I didn't know that. <laughs> and so so this this scene, this pair of scenes, really, with the two different trucks, really did actually make me nervous because I have felt what that is like, mm -hmm. just trying to get around that steep, steep curve and not die. Yeah. See. We had an excellent bus driver, by the way. Excellent. Mario and <laughs> Joe's truck is bigger and heavier, and they've mentioned it a couple times, than Bimba and Luigi's truck. And so Bimba and Luigi, they have one tire go through, and they end up getting out of it. And Joe, when they get there, Joe actually takes a knife, and he shows how soft this wood is by pushing his knife in easily into this wood. So they have to back their truck up on the other side where it's not quite so soft, but that shot when he's backed it up and that ass end of that truck is so long and it's like mm -hmm. hanging over the end. It look, it's such a beautiful shot that it just keeps going over and over and over. And you're like, they are going to back over this thing. And then he drives forward and there's some weird hook on the side of the vehicle that catches yes. on. When the, yes. Oh, well, wait, wait, you're missing, when you're missing a part in there too. Because when he backs up, he's yelling, stop when, stop when, something along, when should I stop when, should yeah, I stop? And he doesn't hear him. Because he, he, he's gone. Yeah. The, then the, yeah. The, the little dumpster thingy falls over. That's when he jumps out, and he can't find Joe. And Joe is actually running up the mountain the other way to hide behind a rock for apparently no reason because he gets right back in the truck afterwards. But, <laughs> but he was running away at that moment. Well, because he Joe, thought the truck was going to go over and explode. Like, that's why he was hiding. <laughs> Right, and that, and that, and that's the thing is that's like why I can't blame, I, I can't blame him for running in that moment, but I can't fathom why Mario isn't a little more understanding of why he thought the truck was gonna explode, <laughs> because I would have thought the same thing. Oh man! Yeah, and, and the other thing is when you when you see that area, it's not actually like a cliff. It's not like super high up on, because there's obviously. I mean, he could jump down. Mario right. jumped down from the side and was looking for Joe. Yeah. So it's not so much that it was steep, but that movement and truck and boom. Yeah. So that's what made it so tense. Is it wasn't the height; it was <laughs> that rotten wood and. That actually did hold suspense for me, so well done. Well, this, this was great because it was like three things right in a row. Every time you thought they were out of the woods, yeah. like, all right, they made it around that part. Now they're backing up. Good. Uh-oh, they're going to back off the edge. Oh, no. Oh, man, he's got the cable caught. Now he's going to take out the whole bridge. Like, it was just one thing right after another during this scene. Yeah, because he drives forward. There's this hook on the side of the vehicle for some reason, right? That's just a I'm death trap. I'm guessing for a tarp. Right? T tie down loads, but yeah, it's it's a yeah, tarp or something. Horrible, horrible placement for this particular scene. And then uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is, like some type of suspension, metal suspension string is to help hold the bridge up. Gets yeah, caught on this hook, and so Mario's trying to drive forward. And he doesn't realize he's caught on it, and when he finally gets up enough motion to go, the string breaks, and as he's driving up the hill, the thing like collapses beneath him, and it's just like, oh my goodness. 
So and it, and it it blew into like a billion pieces. Yes. It didn't just tip over and fall. Like it exploded like in a video game. It was it was kind of a little <laughs> ridiculous how much wood came flying out of that little bridge. Well, it wasn't quite an explosion. <laughs> it was rotten wood. It was it was waiting to fall apart. It was just looking for the right the right moment to do it. My first thought actually when it fell was how the hell are they going to get back down? Like I yep. you know I'm like that's still a that's still a really tricky turnaround point. I hope they send him back in a car or something <laughs> like a skateboard, something tiny. Yeah, because they he, they send him back in that truck on that same road at the end of the what the heck? Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't matter. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't matter. <laughs> Maybe there was another way. Who knows? Our, we should have uh, taken yeah, that there then. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but maybe it's not as dangerous if you if you don't have a truck full of nitroglycerin, so you can make that really right you, shallow okay. turn or whatever. That, I think so. that's a great point, Brandy. Yeah, you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna have to go around it as gingerly. <laughs> as yeah, you so, did the first so there, time. explain. Yeah. Wonderful. There you go. <laughs> I love it. It works for me totally. Um, our next one, they come across. I think it's if I remember correctly, it's a giant boulder in the road. Yes. So they've they've gone as far as they can. They're driving up this road, and there's a gigantic boulder in the middle of the road, and they're like, how are we going to get across this? And Bimba just looks back at the truck, and we see the giant sign on the front of it that says explosives. So they come up with this crazy time-delayed awesomeness to drop a hammer onto onto some uh, nitroglycerin and blow the rock up. And this is also the greatest scene Somehow, this is like Schrodinger's movie, and there's like multiple greatest scenes in this movie, right? So, um, what, what do you think about this? Again, so we've got Bimba and Luigi working together, coming up with a solution, right? Well, what I find interesting about this scene is when somehow they were able to drill a hole by slamming down just a piece of wrought iron, but um, in less than a half hour, but uh, when... Mario and Joe get up, even Bimba even said, I think it was Bimba, he says to him, uh, everyone gets to say here, even you, you coward. So even at that point, they were still giving Joe a say. Uh, and then, you know, they ended up filling the nitrous glycerin into the, uh, into the hole that they had created, and they set the fuse and run away, and Joe just kind of sits there cowering in the truck, mm-hmm. which was weird. Uh, but they definitely should have backed those trucks up way farther, but it wouldn't have been, oh, yeah. it wouldn't have been as suspenseful, farther. so... Yeah. Well, didn't well. Wh- who was it? Was it Bimba? Who was it that that saw the trucks and, and said that? Said it's like these are too close. What are you doing? Yeah, There's well, no time. Just yeah, go, 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 go. It was. Yeah. They um because they realized at the last second that rocks were gonna fall. Like yeah, that didn't dawn on them until they had already lit the fuse, and then that was too late. Yeah. And then Luigi goes yeah. back and doesn't die for some reason. He's gonna try amazingly. To but now, did you guys catch? Because every time I watch the film, I don't catch it until the very end. And I think there should have been a zoom at this point. But after the rock explodes, and um, Joe is sitting in the truck, kind of cowering with his hands over his head and whatnot. And he looks up, and these rocks are kind of rolling down the hill. And it shows this one shot, and this one rock is going down. And I always, I, I always miss it until the very last second. But there's a jerry can sitting there, and this rock is like tumbling. Oh right, right. Yeah. I, and I think they should I have done a it. zoom to make that a little more clear. Because at for every time I watch the movie, I'm like, why is he? What's? Oh, that's there, right? So how clear was that to you guys? That that jerry can? Did you guys notice it right away or? I didn't catch it at all until you just said it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't think it's very clear. That's like I think they should have had a zoom in on the jerry can so you see what what the danger is in that last. There's one more thing of danger right here, right? So. Well, I I assumed that's what it was, and then when I saw the jerry can, I was like, oh yeah, because that's what it is. Because I knew they hadn't put the jerry can back in the right. truck. Right. And so all the time I'm thinking, where's that jerry can? Where did they put the jerry can? And then you see that rock, and I'm like, oh. No, they're not going to die. Too much in the movie left. <laughs> so. Well, somebody could have died before the ending. Well, yeah, I'm surprised Joe did. didn't die of a heart attack in the scene. <laughs> honestly, yeah, because because he's just a he's just super weak like a woman. Yeah, thanks, Mario. We know what you think of women already. And then after this, they decide yeah. to have a toast and pee on the on the explosion, and everybody can pee on it except for Joe. <laughs> well, Although Joe's not, <laughs> no. Joe's not. He invited. has his own toast. He's got a shy bladder. He's yeah. got a shy he bladder. To, no, he, he says he says fine. I'll toast myself. I'll toast myself. Yeah. yeah. So they they're all gonna have a toast and they all pee on this hole, and then they but they don't invite Joe, and he's all upset that he doesn't get invited. I don't know about you, Kate, Brandy. You probably don't have this problem here, but Patrick and John, I can't pee next to somebody. No, nah, me neither. <laughs> uh, well, gotta, it depends on the circumstances. Just like in a public restroom, I got no problem with it. I, but like, if I'm out in the woods or something, restroom. I'm not a fan of it. If there's not even, a even wall? if there's dividers, I need, I need, I need a, a one stall, a one urinal spacing. Yeah, I, uh, this is true for me as well. Because <laughs> okay. all we have is stalls, and even so, it's like if I'm in a stall by myself and there's nobody around, and someone comes in and comes into the stall right next to me, I'm like, oh no, come on! Now I'm done. It's called. Come on, it's one stall I'm, divider here. Come on, it's like I real estate, I, location, location, location. I, exactly. I, it's not a preference, but I guess I've just gotten old enough that it's just you know, it's like if it's got you know. To, to quote uh, Sterling Hayden's character from The Godfather, you gotta go, you gotta go. So At my work, there's two urinals in the men's bathroom right next to each other, and then there's two stalls. It's a pretty small bathroom. And if one person is at one of the urinals, I will go in the farthest stall. in order. And yet, we've had this conversation here on Warp 5 while talking about Wages of Fear, and I still don't understand how the bathroom situation on the Enterprise works. So we'll figure that out someday. There's a topic for another episode. Awesome. Um, Okay, so this leads us off to our final tense scene, which we have talked a little bit about already. Um, Bimba and Luigi, also leading to one of the greatest shots of the film. Uh, Bimba and Luigi are just talking about what they're going to do when they're done. It cuts to Joe and Mario, and Joe is trying to roll a smoke. And all of a sudden, this huge gust of wind blows all his tobacco off his thing. They look up, and there's a huge flash of light. And Bimba and Luigi have exploded. And that shot of that tobacco getting blown off of that rolled cigarette is absolutely a masterpiece shot. Like, that is one of the greatest shots of, like, all time, I think. It's it's the greatest scene of the movie. Because <laughs> somebody died. Patrick, you meanie. Yeah, yeah no, I, uh, when, the, when the gust of wind happened, my initial reaction was, where the hell? Oh, no. You know, like, <laughs> it, it took me that, like, that split second. I was like, why is it so windy? Oh, well, that's sad. I think they do it perfectly because they, the, the tobacco goes flying, right? And you see kind of a flash of light. But it doesn't really register in your brain yet that it was an explosion because they don't have a sound to it yet. And then it takes like a split second f- for you to hear the boom, and then the camera look up to the to the explosion itself, 
and you're like, you're like, I, I, you, I was like, wow, that's an awfully large gust of wind out of nowhere that no one was expecting. Oh, the truck yeah. blew up. That, that is yeah. so amazing <laughs> yep. because it got all of us the same. Brandy, did you have the same thing? Because that's perfect because you're like, you're confused. You're like, what happened? She's oh, thinking these these three are idiots. I knew from yeah. the beginning. No, That's what she's no. thinking. I totally knew. It's the flash of light, and I'm like, no! <laughs> yeah, that was me at that moment. So I actually missed the tobacco being oh, blown off oh, of so, the paper so. oh. because I saw the flash of light, and I was so upset. Because I knew what had happened. Oh, and I'm just like, you sons of motherless goats, you killed him off screen? Uh, off screen, too. <laughs> off screen. Yes. Oh, yes. But brilliant. But it's, what... it's brilliant. It's, it's yeah. a brilliant scene for different reasons for me because I was so upset by the flash of light. I didn't see all the great stuff that happened after that. So, sorry. The tobacco I, is, just... it is but... it, in all seriousness, it is one of the best scenes I've ever seen, though. What, yeah. But it's... but also, what I'm about. Sure it's amazing. <laughs> what, what about the restraint, right? Like. Again, to to draw a comparison to modern filmmaking, I think they would show an exterior shot truck going into ditch, cut yeah, to no, explosion. That's, that's fine, and I I understand that. I like the way they did it. Yeah, I, I'm not complaining about it. Oh at no, all. I, I don't think you are. So no, yeah, I, I think it was very well done. I think that they should have done it that way. But yeah, the minute I saw the flash of light, my heart just ripped into shreds. On a on a completely yeah. unrelated topic, uh, John. Nothing to do here. Let me know what happens, uh, how you feel after you watch the remake. Moving on. Oh, I will. Absolutely. I will. <laughs> For that scene. So, it's kind of a spoiler, isn't it? So so real quick, though, um, one of the things you have to now like completely ignore, though, is there'd be a giant crater where that truck was. But they don't ignore it. What? No. They, they don't really. There's no way no, they get by. That, no, that that's. That's, um, that's the oil pit. That's yeah, the that's, oil that's the pit no, they know, go through. Just, you just think it would be bigger. No, yeah, it would. It wouldn't work. Like they, they, they would. There would be no way of getting around that. Okay, they kind of made it too no. easy by just wrapping. Chain, you know, he used the the rope after he breaks breaks his best friend's leg at that point. Okay, so he what happens is this, so they drive up to the spot where the explosion was, which is just beautiful because there's all these destroyed trees, right? Like this, it just oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, that was done well. And one uh, and the the oil pipeline that they've been drying neck driving next to has exploded and is just gushing out oil into the pit that the explosion has created and filling up so they have to drive through this and so mario or sorry uh, mr joe goes in and he starts fishing around and pulling out like junk and trees and crap that's under there so that the truck can drive through this this uh this divot in the road this gigantic divot in the road and while he's like guiding him through, he trips over a really large tree, and 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 Mario has said, you know what? I have to go through this. I can't stop. If I stop, I will get stuck. So as he's driving, Joe gets pinned under this tree because of the weight of the truck is pinning him down, and Mario just keeps driving and breaks his leg. And holy crap, he's covered in oil. Like he's just he's went underneath and he's just covered in oil and it's one of the most iconic shots from the movie and one of the most iconic images from the movie is is Joe completely covered in oil right um, I remember the original cover for the Criterion release I had no idea what this movie was when I bought it and he's like sticking his head out of the thing and he's like all black and it looked like Riker coming out of uh, Armus in the Next Generation right is like kind of what it looked <laughs> like right and uh, yeah. 
but they show Joe sitting there and his leg is just like twisted and like crushed. He's like sitting on the side. It's awesome. But, but he ends up getting stuck anyways. And I don't know. See, I didn't get the idea that Mario wanted to do that because Mario, I saw a disgusted expression on his face as he was driving over his leg. But if he's truly disgusted, he stops. Like he, he's making a decision in that moment to be okay with doing the terrible thing. And I think that just because he's, oh, that sucks, like, that's the disconnect, is he's not, uh, you know, he, he's not listening to that disgust, to that human emotion. He's just saying, well, okay, yeah, he's going to get crushed. Like, that. that's what I'm talking about, is like he, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have gone on the trip to begin with, but, you know, in that situation... <laughs> I, I would have spared the guy. I'd been like, hey, you, I'm not going to roll over you. We'll, we'll find something else, or you know what? Their nitroglycerin is going to sit here forever, and they can come up and move it. You know, like that sort of thing. Yeah, I think, I think part of it is that they want you to understand that th- there is no option for the nitroglycerin to sit there forever or them to come and get it, that, that Joe and um, Mario have to get to the finish line at this point. There's no other truck. Um, there's already 13 dead at the oil field as it is, right? Because 13 died in the initial explosion. And um, so there's that desperation. But there's also, they need the money. They need the $2,000 each. And like you say, he does make the choice to roll over them. But a lot of times that's the choice that the, the workers are going to make. Um, because if I roll over you and get to the other side, I have a better chance of getting you in the truck and getting you to help than if we get stuck here in the middle of a little oil lake, well, it's created an oil lake, and uh, we can't get this thing out ever again. Then that's exactly how I see it. I don't, like, I don't know, I don't, I don't think Mario made the wrong choice, honestly, in this, by driving over Joe's leg, I don't think he made the wrong choice. I guess I'm just not built for driving trucks of nitroglycerin then. Yeah. I guess there's just something inside me that, that just wouldn't function in that, you in, mean in that situation. Human? John, do you yeah. want right? a yeah. road trip next year, John? John? Road trip? You want to go on a road trip? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> don't, don't go with Brandon. Go with me. Just, we'll be like Luigi yeah. and Bimba. When, yeah, when, we're when, Luigi and Bimba, and these two guys, this is Mario and Joe right here. <laughs> All right, we figured this out. It's a good thing there are four people here. We know who's in what truck. There you go. Oh, as long boy. as I'm not Linda, I'm good. As long as I'm not the guy getting out to get you through the oil, I'm good. So, <laughs> what am I, Joe? Did you just have Patrick Mario and I'm Joe? Yeah, I'm Mario. Okay, fine. <laughs> in the end, it all doesn't matter. Yeah. In the end, so yeah, they get out. True. He, he pulls himself out with the wenches on the front. Is that wench? Is that the right word? Um, yeah. Yes. And yeah. then they, they continue driving. Joe ends up dying, I guess I'm assuming from blood loss, right? Because he, he tried to tourniquet with his belt. Joe, Joe tried to do his own tourniquet on his leg, and uh, he dies from blood loss. He finally gets there. Joe finally gets there. They put out the fire off screen, I guess, and he gets paid his money, and he gets sent home. And and uh, yeah, Well, I find it interesting is he gets paid both their money. Yes. He gets yeah. the, the, the owners. Should have got paid all four. He should have. I was just going to say yeah, that. Yeah, but the other money was on the other truck. Yeah. But, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, they, right. Because he says he said they put literally the put the, the money truck. in yeah. the trucks. Mm-hmm. Which no seems... owner would ever do that because I would dump your nitrous glycerin and leave. Right. right. That so, seems an honorable time. I guess. Yeah. No, I guess I just presumed that he was um, he was being figurative. Yeah, metaphor. That, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Whatever. But whatever. He gives him the whole payment, which is I guess is nice. I mean, 
whatever. Um, it's a good thing. But but he, he makes it out, you know, like they get there and, and like now Joe's a hero. Uh, Mario's a hero. And uh, and then they open the, the door and like Joe's just laying there dead. That was kind of a weird scene. Um, when they walk over and realize the other guy is actually there. Oh, that's and, but uh, I don't know. Like that's powerful. Like just to, that's what they went through. There's a dead body in this truck. Right. No. No. I, like, I agree. It was just kind of weird. Like he doesn't even mention there's a dead guy in there. Like yeah. someone else just opens the door and is like, um, dead guy, dead guy. Yes. But, but uh, and then yeah, and then then we get to the final scene. No, and that's where the movie ends, and it's done. <laughs> Nothing else happens after that shot. Wait a second. I don't know. I, wait, wait. No one it? falls off a. No. Nothing? Nothing. Wasn't there like a stinger <laughs> wait, I mean, at the I, end of the credits? There was maybe? a big or something? I don't know. There was a big dance number that happened. There was a phone call yeah, and a yeah, dance there was. number. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I remember ma- Magically, everyone in that whole town was a trained professional dancer. They didn't have any other job opportunities, but they were all well, professional wait, dancers. You, they had a lot of time to practice, I think. What was that that had a dance number at the end after somebody died? What am I thinking of now that you mention that? Anyways. Oh, that could describe more than I'm one sure. film. <laughs> yeah. So, so we have the dance number, and then, like a Marvel movie, after the credits, we have a guy going back. No, it's not after the credits. No, but he is going no. back and forth on a road. Oh, this pisses me off so <laughs> much, because I like Mario at this point of the movie. And then, so they 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 get the notification. A, a phone call is made back to the bar uh, that... that the three of them have died, and Mario was on his way back. And so, Mario, uh, so the bartender tells Linda, and Linda's all happy and excited, and and they put on the radio and they start dancing to the Blue Danube, and Mario starts driving, like a, like a, f- <laughs> right? Like, I think. He- okay, uh, okay, yes, I have a beep in my. I this pisses well, yeah. me off so much. This ending of this movie. I didn't know you were capable oh. of that language, Brandon. I, I, I live in uh, New York. I, I have, have had some worldviews challenged in the last 30 seconds, Brandon Shea. <laughs> What's that? That What's is, that uh, I, I've just had some worldviews challenged by what you just said. <laughs> that is shocking. That is shocking. I, I, wait a second. So, I thought Canadians were nicer than that. So, oh, so I'm a construction worker in New York City, and I have been able to keep my cool for like 20 podcasts now without having to drop an F-bomb, and you do it now in front of me? I'm sorry. I just, this ending upsets me so badly because I love Mario at this point. And he starts driving, like, left and right. He's just swerving all over yeah. the road on Ironically, dangerous to road. the music. Oh, He's doing it to the music. You can't hear <laughs> yeah, that he can't hear her too, right? And but but and but Clouseau isn't that the amplifies whole... it by like swinging the camera on an angle with it too. He just amplifies it even more. But isn't now, how that do you the know point? he doesn't hear the music because see, oh, there's a radio in that radio. truck. So mm, there you go. That's a good He's way. probably hearing the music. It just was such a coincidence that the town was dancing to that same music. All in unison because they're all professional dancers. Yes, but. But like, isn't seriously? I mean, isn't this the whole point of the movie that death comes for everyone, and it doesn't matter what you do? Can't the guy it's, get a break? This is well, actually. So now here, here's the interesting. I didn't know whether I should be happy or sad for Linda. So he yeah. treated her like he treated her like crap, but she really, really wanted him to come home. Yes. And she, I, I got the impression that she like loved him for whatever reason. I mean, her. We didn't even talk about it at the beginning, but 
I got the impression based on what I saw that her boss is like using her for sexual favors as well, like because he sends her up to the room at one point, right? And then yes. Like, oh, oh, excuse me. There is no qualm about it. He basically says, "I wouldn't harm a hair on her head. I just want to give it to her real yes. good. Speaking go upstairs which, and wait for me in my room." Right, but, like, but, and, and then never makes it upstairs, but. No, she does. Um, no, they, they do, do make it upstairs. I thought, I no, thought they do. Yeah, he, he makes it upstairs. Because she's waving out the yeah. window to Mario, and then boss man comes in and pulls her oh, away. Oh, you're right, you're right. Okay. And spits at him. I, for some reason, I thought he went back outside. But yeah, but then, now fast forward to the end of the movie, now he's telling her, oh, you know, Mario's coming back. Like, it's some joyous event. Like, he, he wasn't, you know, basically raping her two and a half hours ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like she collapses, ago, and this is this is what this is that French expressionist craziness that happens in movies, and she like is dancing so much she ends up passing out like right at the moment that he drives off the edge of the cliff, and then the camera zooms in. On, we didn't even talk about it on this this subway ticket or whatever these got zooms in on it. This alarm siren thing is going off, and then the big fin comes up, and I'm just like, you've just taken 10 years of my life with this ending of this movie <laughs> yeah but right. speaking of the way that it's structured like that definitely has an impact on a lot of film and yeah i mean even like you see it in tv shows that at the end of episodes all the time now of the juxtaposition of two different scenes with the the music going yeah. over it like this has that ripple effect and definitely uh, you know reaches outward from this point and changes the way people approach certain types of, of filmmaking no no doubt and i think i think it's beautifully done and i think it speaks and supports the you know the message of you know the, the philosophical discussion about death and its inevitability and how are you going to face it how are you going to fight it and and those sorts of things which i think are really you know, I may I may watch this film again, and my interpretation of certain characters may change, or my interpretation of certain contexts may change. But I'm a hundred percent certain that, as painful as that ending might be in any circumstance, I think it's just inevitable. I, I think it's just unavoidable that it ends like that. Ugh. When he first went off the cliff, and he the truck hit the first time, I really honestly thought to myself, "Wait, he can survive one or two bounces here." And then when we got to like the third, and the cab was in shreds, and the back was gone, I was like, "Well, that didn't happen." Um, now, now coming from me, that's really odd because I do want yeah. to see the whole movie. I wanted him gone, but like Brandon, like I've actually started to like him. Like the way he treated Joe at the very end as Joe was was dying made me actually like the guy a little bit. The the have you guys seen Duel? The, no, it's Spielberg's first film. If you haven't seen, it, it's amazing. And there's a truck goes off at the end, and it it reminded me of this. So I'm th- I'm sure that Spielberg is like homaging this film here, right at the end of of Duel. But um, oh, even still, even with me hating this ending so much, it doesn't detract. And this is still like this this movie's in my top three of all time. Like this is like one literally one of my favorite movies of all time. I just love this movie so much, even hating the ending as much as I do hate the ending here um uh, before we we wrap up with final thoughts here and stuff uh, i want to just talk a little bit about uh the the episode that is referenced in this so it's the season one episode vox sola uh which is the one where that that stringy white intelligent being thing goes on the ship and it traps 
Archer and Trip and a couple other people, and Hoshi has to figure out a way to talk with it. And it's like a, it's a kind of a Hoshi story that she's coming to terms because she just had a challenge with talking with the Cretaceans. And there was a miscommunication between them, and Hoshi thought it was her fault. Uh, so it's kind of a character-building uh, story for her. And the movie night that they're supposed to be watching is The Wages of Fear, which is a French film. And Reed and Mayweather try and boost Hoshi's confidence. They're like, you should come to the movie with us and have fun and relax a bit. And they're like, oh, those subtitles go by pretty fast. We could probably use a translator. <laughs> like They're trying to make her feel good in the episode, right? Um, but it's actually kind of surprising because the character Rostov, who's the first engineer to get captured by this monster, is like really excited to see this movie. So while he's hanging there from this white spider web-like thing, he's like... Do you think they're still going to show the movie? Right? So they like, he's like dying and being sucked alive or whatever here. And he's like, I want to see the movie. And uh, Archer promises that they'll show it next week. So, um, so th that's the episode that the movie's referenced here. I can't think of a parallel plot connection between the movie itself and the episode Vox Sola, other than the fact that they chose a French film and with subtitles, right? But. Anywho, and then uh, I'll touch briefly on this on the remake, which is called Sorcerer, uh, which was directed by William Friedkin, who did The Exorcist, and it is not as good as the original. There are some interesting scenes, and they they don't do all of the tension parts the same. There are very there are different ones, um, and there are some similar feeling ones. Uh, it's a half an hour shorter, uh, but honestly, it takes almost as long to get into the truck sequences as it does but um it's well done i just don't think it holds a candle now i have read that this is one of tarantino's favorite films of all time sorcerer and so have at you what you will for that so um anyways but other than that do we have any final thoughts on the wages of fear we'll start with our guest john uh, I I was just going to say, uh, Brandon Shea, that uh, after viewing this, I have also enshrined, like I will probably, as much as I hate physical media, I will probably get the Criterion Collection Blu-ray because this is a film I will revisit uh, because I found it so layered and I found it so um, compelling and so bold uh, for what it did and what it was trying to tell. So I... Thank you for giving me the impetus to finally see Wages of Fear because I had discussed it with somebody else who uh, who loved it, and uh, this wound up being you know the spark that that got me toward it, and I love discovering something where I'm that impressed with it. Brandy, any final thoughts? Well, um, when I finished the film, I said, "Great, that's something I'll never have to watch again." <laughs> um, again, I appreciate what the film means. I appreciate the subtext. I appreciate all of those things, but that doesn't mean that it was in any way enjoyable for me to watch. Uh, it was actually just really difficult for me. And uh, so, yeah, I, people who love it, good for you. I'm so happy that you love it. I'm so happy that, that it's in your top three, Brandon Shay. I really am. Uh, it just didn't, it's, it's not going to stay with me in a positive way. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm glad you found some good stuff to have talk about. I think we had a wonderful conversation on it. Patrick, you got any final thoughts on it? We have temporarily lost Patrick here. Oh, dear. No. Oh, boy. Oh, no. So I'll continue talking, and hopefully Patrick will come back here. Um, yeah, he's he just ah, lost him. we lost him. Here. Um, uh. So the next movie that we're going to be covering 
in our movie night is a really fun one. John, you are more than welcome to join us again, and I'll be extending the invitation to Mike. Uh, the next movie is the original The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh. Woo! Cool. <laughs> so now we get into something a little bit more interesting than The Wages of Fear. Maybe not. I love but... it. No, I, I enjoy this film. Uh, it is really slow. Uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still is really slow. Day- what? The Day the Earth Stood Still yeah, is slow. It's it's a bit oh, slow, geez. but it's not slow in a bad way, because everybody is expecting this sort of action sci-fi film, and that's not what this is about. Oh, so, which but, no, I, I guess I, you... I love the film. I absolutely love the film, and I love the story that it was originally based on. So I'm excited to talk about that one. I, I guess you could also extend um, that that semi-criticism of everybody who's expecting. Um, action-oriented sci-fi film and instead they got something slower uh to robert wise's later film star trek the motion picture yes yeah robert wise yes i love the motion picture i don't care what anyone thinks i think we all do i love that movie we're all i love it love it unless john is not i i wouldn't say i love it (laughs) i would say that i recognize technical achievements within it but i wouldn't say that i love it well that's okay i know a lot of people don't i know tons of people don't but and I even saw it when I was a kid. I was like, what, let's, what, when did that come out? 79. 79. I didn't see it in the theater. I was, my parents weren't taking me to the theater when I was that age because of the Empire Strikes Back debacle. It was a long time before they let me go back to an actual theater viewing of anything. That's a story for another time. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I think I saw it around 1981 mm-hmm. when it was out on video. And I was just glued to the television. But it's the same thing with um, with 2001 and Space Odyssey. Glued to the television. Just nine-year-old kid. So Cool. I guess I'm cool. a weird one. No, no, no. I mean, like, uh, the, you know, there, there's plenty, like, um, I forget who I was talking with, but it might have been might have been John Tenuto at some point. But, but we were talking about the soundtrack specifically and how um, it had to be scored without all of the effects done. Uh, if I'm yeah. remembering that part of the story correctly. But also, I think one of the things we, we latched onto was the fact that Wise, in a sense, directed it in in a similar vein. And people will probably think I'm, I'm nuts for saying this, but, I, but in a similar vein to uh, The Sound of Music. Like, there's a very musical type of quality to to some of the structure to the motion picture. Like, you know, the, the, you have the big musical numbers the flying through the cloud the you know the enterprise and space dock and and those sorts of things and um well you know day the earth so still i'm sure they're i'm gonna watch that things. with that in mind thank you you've given me a new perspective oh Excellent. cool john cool. where can people find you when you're not uh trying oh. to transport nitroglycerin over a bumpy road <laughs> Well, for tips on not driving nitroglycerin around, you can find me online as Kessel Junkie. You can also find me right here on the network on Stage 9 with Mike Schindler. You can go over to the Nerd Party Network and hear me also with Mike Schindler on Great Shot Kid. You can find me co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations also on the Nerd Party with Matthew Rushing. And you can find me out there in the ether co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And then, and then, every so often, I sleep 
every once in a while. I gotta every say, once in a while. I love Great Shot Kid. It's a lot of fun. I listen to it. Thank you, John. You got to make sure you keep releasing that for Saturday mornings because I go grocery shopping on Saturday mornings <laughs> and listen to Great Shot Kid. So I'm trying, man. I'm trying to make sure we stick on the production schedule. But sometimes Saturday night or Sunday is just the most attainable. Well, the best so. you can do, whatever you can. But uh, just so you know, right. I love listening to Great Shot Kid while I grocery shop. It's my double awesome. GR day: groceries and Great Shot Kid. <laughs> oh, very cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate Excellent. that. Appreciate and you that. guys, they had a wonderful discussion just this past episode on Looper, which I hadn't seen, and they, they gave a spoiler warning, which is good, so I had to pause and end up not listening to it while I was grocery shopping so that I could go and watch the movie first. But uh, but uh, usually they do a very good job of not spoiling the film, unlike us over here on Warp 5. So, Well, you're definitely going to enjoy the tactic that we take for the Last Jedi discussion Excellent. that Mike and I are going to have. And I am eagerly anticipating the invitation to come on Great Shot Kid and talk Robocop 2. Oh, that's going to happen. That is going to happen. Trust me. Excellent. Right on. Well, talking about the wages of fear is not all we've been doing here on the network this week. So please take a listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. I actually hadn't watched the show, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, But I sat down and I started watching uh, and recording episodes. And I immediately had an idea for a script uh, because I found Data to be the most interesting character. To the journey! So you could have, like, you know, carbonated gog. Carbonated gog? (laughs) I'm trying to understand how this works. So the gawk are presumably a little squishy or juicy on the inside. So you're saying that in order to give them the appearance of life, they replicate it with carbonation inside the gawk. Yes, to make them, like, pop and fizz. Kind of like an Alka-Seltzer, you know? Like pop pop fizz fizz. Warp 5. And I go into the job interview, and I'm just parroting back to him things he said in his interviews, but he didn't know that I was just doing that. I would say, the thing about Star Trek is that you could write it. It's a mystery one week, and it's a Western the next week. And I'm literally, literally, word for word, things he said in an interview. So that's how I always feel. And I joke with him now that that's how I got the job. But The 602 Club. When we're talking about the idea of context in history, I think this is the biggest issue that I see in this film. Um, and, and with the, the Force Awakens too, and you put them together because they're going to make a trilogy, is look, writing 101, if you don't know the past and the future of your characters, you absolutely 100% cannot write their present. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. And you will find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you are an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And pretty please, leave us a star rating and a written review. It really, really helps people find the podcast. If you are not an Apple user, we totally got your backs. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, 
And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place is to join the larger conversation in our group, the Babel Conference, which is our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose send to a show and select warp five. That should come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Now, Patrick is still having his troubles, uh, so you can find him in the Babel Conference, but you can also find him on Twitter at MagicDrop5. That's the number five, not the word. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. You can also find me here on the network with The Edge, which is our Star Trek Discovery podcast. And over on the Fandom Podcast Network, I have a little show called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast, which I do with my friends Chris and Tom. And I guess I should also mention that Patrick also has a show called The Briar Patch here on the network, which is a socioeconomic podcast. Brandy, where can people find you when you're not stealing matches from your employer? <laughs> well, I am on Twitter as Brandywine12. That's Brandy with an I, not a Y. And I'm also always lurking in the Babel Conference. Plus, I co-host Live from the Edge when new episodes of Discovery are running. And that airs Monday nights, uh, the day after the new episode airs, at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on YouTube. And uh, people can join us and watch us stumble through it live no we're actually we've gotten to be old hands at that we're just totally down with the live thing but bruce and i are both uh improvers so we have a good time and uh, i also do a podcast with my husband called the dark corner podcast on strangeanddeadly.com and uh we talk about just basically whatever we want but it usually ends up being a lot of pop culture things uh looking at it through sort of a darker lens and i use many colorful metaphors on that show so just be warned, it is not for general audiences. Like today's episode of Warp 5. <laughs> I was, I was, that was just wow. Oh, wow. That ending upsets me so much. <laughs> I understand. I just, I really honestly didn't know you were capable of that word. So it was, it was um, eye-opening to say the least. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, anyway, if you would like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. So visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the deets. And perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. Do you know how many podcasts are on Trek FM? That's a that's lot. Like four. So, yeah, that's like four. Or like five. So, <laughs> maybe five. Maybe five. So, but we really appreciate any support you all can give us and hope you'll join the team. And again, you will find all the details at patreon.com slash checkathin. And at this time, we'd like to thank our patrons who support this show and support the network as well. We couldn't do it without you. We'd like to spend send a big, huge thank you and a pat on the back to Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, and Joe Saltzman. Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting Trek FM and Warp 5. We appreciate it. 
Well, I think that's just about it, Amy. So uh, we're going to be trying to do warp... Did you just call me Oh my Amy? goodness, I did. Holy smokes. <laughs> I'm dark Amy, if you dark want. Amy. At least I didn't call you Linda. We may, we... <laughs> well, you know, we, we've we made jokes because Amy and I are both from Utah, so we've made jokes that I am the mirror Amy. Amy. So that, that makes me the evil one. Brandy! We're going to be trying to do Warp 5 weekly. We're not sure how, if we'll be able to maintain that, but we're going to make a concerted effort to try, and we'll see how it goes. So, we do have our next two episodes planned out, uh, so we'll just let you know what they are right now so you can prepare as it's a little bit more quick. Uh, the next episode, we're going to have a guest on, Tim Robertson, who's been on The Edge, and he was on with Justin and I when we did our Golden Girls exclusive for the Patron Zone, and we're going to be talking about the episode First Flight and NASA. Uh, because Tim actually works for NASA. And after that, we're going to be finishing up our Season 3 retrospective with Season 3 Part 6. And uh, I'm looking forward to that as well, where we'll be covering E2, The Council, Countdown, and Zero Hour. Well, that's everything for us today, I guess. So we'll see you guys again next time in the Ready Room, or... I don't remember how how Floyd finishes this off because he always did it. Next time on Warp Five, Boomers. <laughs>